0: If you have the opportunity, I'll read these, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the the message. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving-kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I ask you tonight that we would not glory in our wisdom, in our might, in our riches, but that instead we would glory in understanding and knowing you. Thank you that you have given us the revelation of your word, the work of the Holy Spirit, You've given us creation. You've given us your Son so that we may know you. You have revealed yourself to us, I thank you for that. Thank you that you are the God who exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. And Lord, I pray that in our desire to, to know you, may we know you as you are revealed in Scripture and not of our own conception of you, our own forming of you, but we would know you as you truly are. Lord, I pray that our knowledge of you would be based on the truth, your truth. Lord, thank you that you instruct us and you teach us in the way that we should go, and so we ask and and plead for your guidance and your wisdom as we study your word tonight. Lord, that you would lead us in the way that we should go, that you would lead us to uh, those that we can impact for the gospel, that your truth that you have revealed to us would be proclaimed through us so that others also would know you as we do. Lord, give us wisdom as we look into your word and the story of of Abraham here, a man of faith, that we also would be people of faith as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would go to the book of Genesis, chapter number 18, we'll be looking at 18 mainly, and then kind of finish out the story in chapter 19 this evening, Genesis 18-18 starting in verse number 16, and then uh, chapter 19 as well. Talking tonight about this uh, relationship that God has with us and with uh, Abraham in, in specific. If you remember last, uh, last Sunday morning, I made the statement that they say that you are not truly friends with someone until you can go to their fridge and get anything you want out of it without asking. All right? That may or may not be accurate. I understand. I have no idea who they are when they say these things. They are the most popular people in the world, by the way. We just don't know, have any idea who they are. And the reason I say that is because most people are looking for that type of friendship. They're looking for that type of relationship, true and lasting relationships. They're hard to find, aren't they? They're hard to, they take time to develop. And I think in our our world of social media, true friendship, true relationship has been watered down. Because now friends just means what? Well, they clicked allow or friend or whatever on Facebook, and now I've got 6,424 of them but they're really people that I don't know. Romantic relationships even, you know, watered down a little bit because uh, a relationship is not official until it's Facebook official, right? And to make it Facebook official involves clicking a button that says, in a relationship. True and lasting relationships are hard to come by. Whether we're talking about between people, Or here, as we see in Genesis 18 and 19, we see the intensity and really the complexity of a relationship that God has with Abraham and Abraham has with God. Let's catch ourselves up to speed a little bit here on what has happened. In chapter 17, God gave Abraham circumcision as the sign of the covenant. And Abraham obeyed God. He entered into that covenant with God by circumcising himself and then his whole household. And then chapter 18, if you remember, these three men, probably two angels and the Lord himself, that pre-incarnate appearance of uh, of the Lord, these three men appear to Abraham. Abraham takes care of them, offers them food, shows them his best hospitality. And these three men reconfirm to Abraham and Sarah the, the promise of a son who would be the son of the covenant. That would be Isaac. And remember Abraham's initial response? He, he laughed. He kind of scoffed at it. And then when, when Sarah overheard them telling Abraham again, she also laughed. She scoffed at it. You know, it was completely irrational, this idea of a 100-year-old man and a, a 90-year-old woman having a child. But remember, God insisted, and he said, no, 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 this time next year, you will give birth to a son. And that's where it leaves off in Genesis 18 so I'd like to pick it up in verse 16 tonight you know read through the chapter here through verse 33 and then make some comments here on it verse 16 then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their on the way and the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city, would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be found forty there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So in verse 16, these three men get up to go, heading towards Sodom, Abraham walks with them, kind of, you know, walking them down the, down the driveway, as it were, to say goodbye. The two men go on, and we know that. You read verse ni- or chapter 19, you see these two men, probably angels, that end up in Sodom. But it says, the Lord stood beside Abraham. Abraham still stood before the Lord in verse 22. And Abraham and God have this, this communication, this conversation. And we see here the intensity of this relationship between God and Abraham. I want to use three headings tonight to describe the relationship of God and Abraham. The first one is communication. Communication. Look at verses 17 through 19. The Lord said, "'Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? "'Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation.'" and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In any relationship, communication is key, right? If you have no or poor communication, that probably means you have no or you have at least a poor relationship. Communication is vital. Whether that's, that's true in marriage, in parenting, in churches, in business, there has to be communication. Communication is key, And notice here in verse 17 through 19, God is actually here having a conversation with himself, as it were. He's talking to himself. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And so this conversation with himself, he's determined that he will tell Abraham what he is planning to do in regard to Sodom. And the language here is interesting. God, in essence, is saying, I have chosen Abraham for this great and mighty task to be the the leader of these people the father of these people? Why should he not know about what I am going to do? You can see here that the, connection, the, the communication that Abraham and God had together. And in the next several verses, God tells Abraham what he has not told anyone else. No one else had this information. And we see that throughout Scripture many times. God determines to tell some people some things in special and specific ways. True here with Abraham, in a way that he did not talk to others. If you look at Moses, coming up later in in Scripture, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, the prophets, whether the major prophets or the minor prophets, whom God spoke through. Not everyone got that level of communication from God, but he chooses to work through certain people in order to tell them certain things that he wants them to then communicate. Yet, things have changed now, thankfully. Those of us that studied uh, Hebrews 1 recently, do you remember Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2? It says that in times past, God spoke to the people through the prophets. He spoke to your fathers through the prophets. But at that time, that the prophets were the intermediaries. They had communication with God that others did not have. But then Hebrews 1, verse 2 says something's different now. There's a new time now. And he says, now God speaks to us, not just the prophets, but he speaks to us through his son in his word. He's opened up that line of communication. That communication that was special and specific to certain people is now more general and open. Aren't you glad for that? That we have communication from God. Through his word, we hear the voice of God. Through Jesus, we we see and hear the voice of God. Through the Holy Spirit guiding us to the truth, we have the leading of God. God is a transcendent God. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. He is, he is so far different than we are, yet He is a God who communicates. He's a God who reveals Himself. That's powerful. That's helpful glad for that. Not only here do we see communication, but secondly, a second word to to guide us here tonight is connection. Communication and connection. Look at verse 19. God says this about Abraham, I have known him. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. What a great four words in that verse. I have known him. Now that connection between God and Abraham started back in chapter 12. You remember studying that. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Not because Abraham was good, but because God was good because of the grace of God that was on Abraham and here in Abraham's life it is true that God says he has known him in other words God in what we see in chapter 12 God sought out a relationship with Abraham God sought out Abraham to have a relationship with him and that's the way it is for all of us it's true for all of us if we have a relationship with the Lord which which I hope you do and I would assume being here tonight, you are, you are somewhat proving that relationship with the Lord. If you have a relationship with the Lord, it is because God has sought you out. God has sought, God has, has determined to have a relationship with you. You know, we talk a lot about knowing the Lord. Uh, the, the pastor that, that hired me initially down in Florida, he would his, his line when he would go do evangelism or meet somebody was, do you know the Lord? And a lot of times people would, would kind of be taken, know the Lord, how do you know the Lord? And it's funny too, because I didn't mean to do it, but I said that to somebody on Friday night, it was just in my head, do you know the Lord? And we had a little conversation there, because, and we think of that often, do we know the Lord? We should know the Lord, that's good, but we can only know the Lord if, as he says about Abraham here, he knows us. He is the one that, so, that seeks out that relationship and initiates that relationship. Like we talked about this morning, that's the deep love of God shed abroad to us through Christ. Now, now think of this relationship here between God and Abraham. God has chosen to know and to communicate and to connect with Abraham. Why Abraham out of all people? Why Abraham? In the same way, God has chosen to know and communicate and connect with us. Which leads me to the question even more so. Out of all people, why me? Out of all people, why you? It's an incredible thought. It's an incredible thought. Because, listen to me, because for us to know God is for the lesser to know the greater. Right? And there's no wonder in that. We see that in our society all the time. Lesser people want to know and associate with greater people. We live in a celebrity culture, don't we? We common people want to say that I know this person. I know this celebrity. I once stood where they stood. And so the lesser is always desiring to know the greater. There's no great wonder in that, right? What lesser person doesn't want to know a greater person? What beggar wouldn't want to know the king? But when God seeks relationship with us, That is the greater seeking out the lesser. That's unheard of. How many celebrities in our celebrity filled culture go looking for common people like us to have a relationship with? They don't. There is great wonder in the fact that God has sought out the lesser because the king normally doesn't seek out the beggar. The beggar would love to know the king. But the king doesn't have time for the beggars. That's usually how it works. But here we see this great example of relationship with God that the great God of the universe has sought out the, the very lowly me and you. 2 Timothy verse 2 or chapter 2 verse 19 says nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his. He knows you. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We can have, because of God's grace, his love, his mercy, we have relationship with God through Christ that on our own and of our own we would not have if not for God seeking that out. He says here to Abraham, I have known him. There is connection there. Thirdly here tonight, communication, connection, and intercession. Intercession. This picks up here in verse 23 specifically. In verses 20 and 21, God tells Abraham that the sin of Sodom is very grave. They're in a difficult spot. Now, God doesn't say anything to Abraham about destroying them. In verses 20 and 21, he says he's going to go down and just kind of take a look-see and and find out what's going on in Sodom. Not that God doesn't know what's going on in Sodom, but he says, I'm going to go down and see for myself what's going on in Sodom. Now, Abraham here, because he starts to intercede for Sodom, he obviously knows something about Sodom, doesn't he? When God says, I'm going to go down and look and see what's going on in Sodom, Abraham goes, "Uh uh-oh, that's not going to turn out well. Abraham knows there's problems in Sodom. Abraham is actually the one who brings up the idea of destruction. Because he knows those people down there, they're going to get it. Because they deserve it. And Abraham here brings up the idea of destruction in verse 23. Abraham says, he says Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, who is Abraham thinking of there? He knows who's down in Sodom, right? His nephew. His nephew Lot. Whom the New Testament calls righteous. Calls him just. Which is a little bit, that's one you've got to work through because Lot wasn't the most upstanding character. And we'll see that some when we read the rest of the story in chapter 19. But Abraham knows Lot is there. And on behalf of Lot, I think, Abraham asks God to spare Sodom. He intercedes for Sodom on their behalf. Abraham, here in verses 23 and following, 24, 25, he, he appeals to God's sense of justice and equity. He says, Would it really be right for you to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Another way he's saying, God, that's not how you operate. Then he says, The end of verse 25, he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What's the answer to that? Notice no answer is given, but the obvious answer is yes. The judge of all the earth, God, always does what is right. Abraham then here starts to humbly bargain with God, as it were. In verse 26, the Lord says, well, verse 24, Abraham asks, if there were 50 righteous within the city, would you still destroy the city? And God answers in verse 26. He says, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. And, and Abraham enters this, this intercession, this bargaining back and forth. It almost has the, has the appearance, I know this is, sounds trivial, but like, like at a yard sale where you kind of bargain back and forth. You know, I'll give you five, I'll take two, I'll give you four, whatever. And he starts at 50, and he gets God the whole way down to what? Ten the whole way down to 10. And God says, if there are only 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare Sodom. That's saying something. If there's only 10, I will spare Sodom. I want to do a little aside here for just a second, and that is this. Never underestimate the power of a few righteous people. Never underestimate the power of God working through a few righteous people. In this instance, had there been only 10, countless people would have been preserved. Their lives would have been saved. If there were only 10, a few people can make a huge difference in our world, in our community, in our church, no matter what it is. The remnant of God's people, which I would say that God's people in this world that we live in are the minority. It is a remnant, the Bible calls it. But the remnant of God's people should never consider themselves to be powerless or ineffective. Why? Not because of them, but because of the God whom they serve. A few people can do a lot of good. Here, only 10 would have spared Sodom. Which brings up an interesting question. Why does Abraham stop asking at 10? Why does he stop asking at 10? Does he think, he probably doesn't know everybody in Sodom, he doesn't know who all's there, he's heard it, he's, he's maybe been through there before, who knows. Does he think, man, there's got to be at least 10. In every city there's got to be at least 10. Is he maybe counting on Lot's influence? Lot has been down there. Lot knows better. Certainly by this time, he's brought some people along with him who now worship and serve the God that he serves, and they know how to live righteously. Certainly by this time, Lot has had some influence there. The other part to that question is this. Why does God allow Abraham to take him all the way down to 10? Because he started with... Really, no number until, God, until Abraham asked him. But he starts with 50, and God allows Abraham to take him all the way down to 10. What do we make of that? Is that God changing his mind? Is that God, well, I guess I'll do what I wasn't really going to plan on doing the, at first? No, no, no. This is not God changing his mind. God knows all along how many righteous people are there, and he knows all along exactly what he's going to do in Sodom. And I think what he is doing with this exchange between Abraham, whom he has a close relationship with, I think what he is doing is he is allowing Abraham insight into who he is. He's allowing Abraham to see that he is long-suffering and that he is willing to show mercy, that God wants to show mercy to Sodom. And throughout this exchange, we read through it once, you can read through it again on your own. Throughout this exchange, we really see the intimacy of the relationship between Abraham and God. There's a few points in here where you say, wow, who does Abraham think he is talking to God in that way? Who does Abraham think he is asking God for that? Because he's a little bold in here. Yet, notice how he asks. Verse 27 is a great example. Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. That's humility. Abraham is saying, hey, I'm not much, God. I'm dust and ashes. And and, and to ask you for these things is pretty bold, it's pretty brash. But I'm coming to you and asking. And you can see there that reverence, that respect, that humility. And I think that's a good example for us in prayer, No. We don't come to God in prayer demanding that God do this or that or whatever it is. We come to, in prayer humbly asking and saying, God, from a position of dust and ashes, from a position of someone who does not even deserve to come before you in your throne, I ask you for this request. There's something there to learn about Abraham's intercession. There's also this about Abraham's intercession. Abraham's example of intercession on behalf of a people Remember who he's interceding here for? Sodom. He's interceding for a people who have no concern for God. No desire for God themselves. What a terrific example for us of our responsibility to intercede with God on behalf of similar people. You realize that having been called to salvation by God, we are now given the responsibility as people to intercede on behalf of people who are not connected to God, who want nothing to do with God. We are called to intercede, to follow the example of Abraham. Intercession is a powerful tool in the arsenal of the believer. God invites us, throughout the New Testament especially, he invites us to intercede on behalf of others. And when we intercede on behalf of others, we are not just following the example of Abraham. More importantly, we are following the example of whom? Christ. Christ is our great intercessor. Christ did it when he went to the cross, right? He interceded for us. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Christ does it now as well. Not only did he intercede at the cross for our sin, it says he intercedes now for us. Romans 8.34, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you want to see what the intercession of Christ on our behalf currently looks like, read John 17. There he intercedes for us. He intercedes for the disciples. He intercedes for all those who will believe in Christ. And as Christ then has interceded for us, we then are to intercede for others, even for those like the people of Sodom who would not do it for themselves, who want nothing to do with our intercession and want nothing to do with God. Abraham's intercession for Sodom, please don't miss this, he was interceding for a deplorable group of people, about to suffer the wrath and judgment of God. But was Christ's intercession for us any different? A deplorable group of people, sinners, still sinners but saved by the grace of God. That's the example. And now that we, as I mentioned this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 21, great passage, where it says that now because we have been reconciled to God, it is our job now to work to reconcile others to God, that we, because we have been interceded for, we are now to intercede for others. We do it through intercessory prayer, and we do it through intercessory proclamation. There's a little book I've been reading recently. The title is Before You Share Your Faith, written by Matt Smithhurst. And in this book, he powerfully weaves these two together, the idea of intercessory prayer and intercessory proclamation. I'm going to read you a quote here. He says this, It has been said that life's two greatest privileges are to speak to God on behalf of others and to speak to others on behalf of God. And that's the proper order. After we've talked to the Lord about the lost, the time has come for us to speak to the lost about the Lord. Isn't that good? We get the opportunity to speak to God on behalf of others. And we get the opportunity to speak to others on behalf of God. And after we have talked to God about others, we need to go talk to others about God. That's the mission we've been given. There should be an urgency in us that in our relationship with God, as we see here in Abraham's life, our relationship with God gives us the opportunity, gives us in some ways the responsibility to intercede. There should be an urgency in prayer for the gospel. There should be an urgency in proclamation of the gospel. You know, in Abraham we see that 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10 There's an urgency there in Abraham. Why? Because life and death for Sodom is at the breaking point. Abraham knows things aren't looking too good down there. And when we look at our world, we could say the same thing. May we use our relationship with God to intercede for others so that they also may have a relationship with God. Let's look at chapter 19. Because I don't want to leave you hanging here. Chapter 19 gives us kind of the rest of the story. Things didn't work out as well as Abraham may have hoped. But yet God is just and holy and always does what is right. I'm going to read an extended portion here. Chapter 19, verses 1 down through verse 29. Now the two angels, these are the two that left. Remember, the Lord stayed behind and talked to Abraham. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening... And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, similar to Abraham's response when he saw them in chapter 18. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the m- now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, "Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally." So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, "Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly." See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. That's where we should probably interject a uh, lot. What were you thinking? You've gone nuts. That's bizarre. Verse 9, and they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, that's the two angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, "'Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it.' So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, "'Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city.' But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking." Tells you something about Lot. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. It is not a little one, and my soul shall live. That's a very interesting request by Lot. Basically, thank you for saving my life, but I wish you would have done it a little differently. He said to him, verse 21, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. God had said he would spare Sodom for only ten righteous people. Right? Yet what happened? Those ten righteous people weren't to be found in Sodom. And here God was true to his word. He was true to his justice. Yet God was gracious to Lot, wasn't he? One righteous man in Sodom. I would say the Bible calls him righteous, yet it does not appear that he is living too righteously, does it? He's a man who struggled greatly. And as Abraham, you can see him, verses 27 to 29, he's, he's looking over Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and keeping in mind what we just talked about in chapter 18, this exchange with the Lord. Abraham sees here God, both God's willingness to be merciful and his adherence to justice and holiness. He sees a willingness of God to be merciful, and yet also an adherence to justice and holiness. He saw a God who is willing to hear the intercessions of his people, but who ultimately has a determined will. He saw a God who wants to be merciful, but still enacts justice. And what I think we see here in in Abraham's relationship with God, a close relationship, is that in that relationship and in the outworkings of that relationship, Abraham actually grew in his understanding of God and who he was. He grew in his knowledge of God. Oh, that we would also do the same to grow in our closeness and connection with him. That as we read earlier in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, that we would glory not in our might, not in our wisdom, not in our riches. We would glory in this, that we know the Lord. That might be the thing to know. It is the thing to know above all other things, to know the Lord. Like Abraham did, maybe even better than Abraham did because of the word, because of prayer, because of the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.